Hey, 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 welcome to the Pastor Duke Podcast. I'm in Melbourne, Florida with one of my heroes. That embarrasses him every time I say that, but you're not going to shut me up. Wayne Gwynn, my mentor, my last living mentor. Welcome to the podcast. And we, I know you are going to be a blessing to our listeners. So it's an honor for me to share my mentor with you, my podcast family. I first heard about Wayne, uh, Brother Wayne. I was always said Brother Wayne and Miss Linda from the youth group at Cook Road Baptist Church in Mansfield, Ohio, when I was an 18-year-old kid and came in off the streets out of the drug culture. I heard everybody talk about you, Brother Wayne, Brother Wayne. But you had left Cook Road uh, as youth pastor, and I wanted to kind of tell your story a little bit. But I felt like I knew you even before I did, and uh, it was... Actually, we spoke on the phone three or four times as leaders in the Baptist Bible Fellowship, and then we actually met at Pastor Standridge's funeral in August of 1993, where you were dumb enough to adopt me as <laughs> a preacher boy. So, Wayne, introduce yourself a little bit. Well, uh, I uh, I came from Indiana, grew up there uh, in a little GARBC church where as a nine-year-old boy, I invited Christ into my life. Uh, it was during a, an evangelistic meeting with uh, Del Fazenfeld. Oh, I haven't uh, heard that name in a while. Uh, the older Del Fazenfeld. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I remember being so impressed as he was a young man then, full of vim and vigor and vitality and he shared his testimony how he had gotten saved in a Billy Graham crusade and uh, was looking forward to a life of, of entertainment in nightclubs, singing and dancing, and he got saved, and God called him to ministry, and uh, I was so impressed and fascinated by uh, this man, and uh, as he preached, I fell under conviction as a nine-year-old boy I didn't walk the aisle, but uh, my preacher uh, saw my conviction, and while they were praying to dismiss, came back, laid his hand on my shoulder, and uh, I began to weep. He and my dad took me into a little side room, and there they led me to Christ, and my life changed forever at that moment. Amen. I had struggles. Uh, When I got in my teenage years, I struggled like so many. Uh, but God was so faithful, keeping his hand on me, he didn't let me stray very far. It was several years later I was married, um, had moved to another town because of my job, and Del Fazenfeld came to preach a revival meeting in that little town, Columbus, Indiana. And it was that night that I gave my life to Christ to do whatever he wanted me to do and surrender to go to Bible college and get involved in ministry and uh about how old were you at the time of your call uh i was about 21 mm-hmm. uh, at the time of my call and then and i uh the next uh, year went to baptist bible college in springfield missouri was there for three years had had the privilege of working with uh, dr gilming one of the professors who had started a church Cherry Street Baptist Church there in Springfield, Missouri, able to lead singing for them and learned so much about ministry and 
how to minister to people and how to how to visit and when to visit and what to say when you got there and uh, I learned so much under Dr. Gilming and just had a great time and it was <clears throat> when I graduated that we then moved to Mansfield, Ohio. So that was your first ministry stint at, at Cook Road Baptist. Yes. Well, you didn't know it, but I used to smoke pot in your parking lot. <laughs> it was about a half mile away from my best friend, Dennis Dietrich's house. And there was a little corner in the back. We used to pull in there and, uh, and sin. <laughs> little did I know I'd wind up getting saved in that, that, that church. God and, works in mysterious ways, does he not? That's amazing. And so what years were you at Cook Road Baptist? I went. I moved there in uh, the fall or the spring of 1967, wow. and uh, began our ministry there, working with uh, the music. Uh, that's really what I went to Bible college for was music, and uh, I didn't feel like I could ever get up in front of a crowd and preach. Boy, were uh, you wrong! <laughs> <laughs> but growing up, I I had an old red. Uh, K guitar that I played. My preacher would get me to sing and play that guitar in church uh, as a youngster and uh, never got away from music. Music's always been a vital part of my life. and But I was involved with the, the music program there at Cook Road. And then I worked with the young people. Uh, well, you took, you took some kids to camp. Talk about the, the camp in Canada a little bit because there was a young girl named Jeannie Atwell who went to that camp and wound up spending a whole summer there of 71. She came back so on fire that she dropped out of the Christian school, came back to Lucas public school where I had persecuted her as a 10th grader, kind of forced her to drop out. And in the providence of God, one of the young girls that you mentored, that you trained, one of your youth kids, uh, brought me to Christ. So that's where we had our first connection before we even met. Tell us a little bit about all that Canada and all what was going on there. You know, after graduating from, from college and moving to Mansfield, the first year of my ministry there, uh, I got really discouraged. Uh, you know, the devil knows how to work on you. And uh, I got so discouraged that I contemplated going back into the grocery business that I'd been involved in as a, as a, before I went to Bible college. And, uh, we had an old preacher from Indiana. His name was Ford Porter. Oh, I know that name. He printed that gospel track, God's simple plan Plan of of salvation. salvation. Yes, sir. Thousands of people have come to Christ because of that. And, uh, brother Standridge had him come for a, a meeting and his his forte in ministry was prayer, and when he when I picked him up at the airport and got him back at, to the church, I asked him if there was anything that he needed. He said, "Yes, one thing I need. I need a a rug that you can lay on the floor." And uh, he said, "Because I I I lay on my face before God when I pray." And that week, he encouraged me about prayer and I'd felt like a failure because 
I hadn't made much headway with the young people there. And uh, he encouraged me to get alone with God someplace where nothing would distract and just talk to God about those kids, call them by name. And uh, I went out to a woods uh, there uh, in Mansfield early one morning and just began to talk to God. And the Spirit of God gripped me like he had never gripped me before and broke my heart for those kids. I called them by name, and it changed my life, and it changed my ministry. Uh, I don't talk a lot about that experience because some people look at you funny when you talk about an experience with God. But I was lost, and I spent the entire day there. Never thought I would pray for a day. But it was an incredible experience that I had with God. And it changed my life and my ministry. And it was that next summer that uh, I took a busload of kids up to Canada uh, to the Camp of the Woods. Garland Cofield was the missionary that had started that camp. It was a primitive camp in those days, very, as I recall. Very primitive. We stayed in tents. Uh, and uh, they had one building where they had the food and where we had a chapel and that kind of thing. That was the only building on the place. And we spent our days working, uh, clearing the road, hauling gravel into the road, uh, and they were working on another log building. So some of the guys were out in the woods cutting logs, and the girls would peel the logs. and Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and they they work like troopers all day long, and then in the evening, right after uh, dinner, uh, we loaded on the bus and went to an Indian reserve, and uh, I led the kids. They did all the all the ministry. They led the singing. They told the stories. They did the puppets, uh, and uh, we ministered to the Indian kids there. Uh, and when we got back to camp. Uh, we had a devotion time, which the Lord just moved in in a, in a powerful way almost every evening, as those kids uh, just got got in got in love with God, and uh, that's how it all started. And we went every year uh, while I was there to Camp of the Woods, and as a result of that, we had several young people that surrendered for for ministry. Judy Kennard surrendered was a missionary in Canada. I tell her story, the Judy Kay story, on one of my podcasts called Tip of the Spear. For our listeners, if you want to tune that in, Tip of the Spear, um, it's about maybe the 30th podcast in my list. It, it, it'll, it'll throw your soul, what God did through Miss Judy. When we went, uh, we were sleeping in tents, and uh, this gal was scared to death of any kind of bug or spider. Uh, and, Not to mention bears. <laughs> and be, Well, I, I think she was more afraid of the bugs than she was the bears and the moose and the other stuff that were running around there. Uh, and uh, But it's strange how God works. He called her, and uh, she got over all of those fears. And she sure did. And had a, had a marvelous ministry for the Lord. And uh, there was uh, Dana Spurgeon. 
Pastors in Florida today. Pastors in Florida today. Had a good church in Indiana for a number of years. Uh, and he's he was called to ministry. Uh, and uh, then there were the Griff, the Griffiths. Uh, Perry and Sherry Griffin. Perry and Sherry. Uh, missionaries in Canada. Uh, and God just did a wonderful work in the lives of a lot of those kids. Uh, I think one of the Atwell girls uh, married a missionary, and they were... They were in Canada for a while, I believe. Uh, I'm not sure if they're still there or not. But I know Jeannie, uh, after you left, she spent summer of 71 there, the whole summer working on staff and just came back on fire. And it was through her testimony I came to Christ. And I was able to visit that camp. Uh, it had developed a bit, and they had cabins. It was luxurious compared to when you were there. <laughs> <laughs> I was the beneficiary of all the work you guys did. And, uh, boy, God spoke to my heart. That was just, uh, the summer of, uh, 74. And then about two weeks later, I went to uh, Bible college and we supported that camp for many, many years, became great friends. Brother Cofield came and preached for me on numerous occasions and he was a man's man. He really was. Uh, one of the highlights of, of my experience at Cook Road was one year we left on Christmas afternoon. Linda and I had just adopted our daughter, uh, and that was her first Christmas at home. And so uh, we, I stayed home till uh, we opened the presents and did all of those kind of things. And then at late afternoon, uh, two young men uh, and myself left to drive to Canada, up to Dryden, and uh, Brother Cofield was there, and he was, he was a bush pilot. And we flew into a northern uh, Indian reserve, which was an incredible uh, experience and event. Uh, and God just did so many things in those days in the lives of those those young people and in the life of this preacher. Yeah. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? And uh, it was through what God was doing there that ultimately brought me to Christ and that kid smoking dope out in your parking lot came on inside <laughs> and no, Jesus came into my heart. Uh, the, there was, uh, as we were th- talking here, I thought about a young man that when I went to Colorado, I, when I left Ohio, I went to Colorado. My, one of my professors had, uh, left the college and gone to Colorado to take, take a church there. And he called me and wanted me to come and, uh, I just felt a, a led of the Lord to, to do that. And uh, my first year in Colorado, I took two busloads of teenagers. We had a, a fairly large youth group there in Colorado, and I took a, two busloads of kids to Canada. And uh, one of them, um, I don't know why I was drawn to hippies. Uh, <laughs> you should have known better preach <laughs> but anyway uh, uh tom came to came to church one sunday night when we had uh, dr noel smith who was oh yeah the editor of the baptist bible tribune for uh, many years and he was there to preach and just before the service started here comes this guy in the back door he's barefooted uh he doesn't have a shirt on, but he's got a leather vest. Uh, he's got a red bandana tied around his head. Uh, 
And uh, might have been my twin brother <laughs> if I had one. <laughs> he smelled like a goat. <laughs> <laughs> you know how goats smell. I do. I actually do. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Smith preached that night. And after the service, uh, this boy came down. His name was Tom, came and got right in the face of Dr. Smith. And he said, old man, that stunk. And I remember Dr. Smith reaching his hand out on his shoulder and said, young man, it won't smell any better till you get to know Jesus. Amen. And the strange thing is the next morning, Dr. Smith was preparing to leave town and uh, the pastor, Brother Melton, and I uh, went to breakfast with him. And the guy that was uh, cleaning up the tables and, and all of that kind of stuff was this young man, Tom. We got to talk to him again. And the very next service, he came back. And he came back the next Sunday. And we were getting ready to leave for Canada that Sunday. And so after the morning service, we all loaded on the buses. The people came out, laid hands on the buses, praying for us. And uh, just about the time we were shutting the doors, Tom comes around the corner as a knapsack, and he says, can I go? And uh, well, the kids all said, come on. And he, he got on the bus, dressed the same way, <laughs> uh, and uh, we drove uh, two days uh, to get to the camp of the woods. When we got there, uh Brother Cofield was a little standoffish from Tom. And come Sunday, and we were going into the church, and he came to him and he said, I can't take him to our church. Our people wouldn't understand a hippie coming to our church. And strangely enough, Tom heard him, and he came and he said, well, I'll stay here. I don't want to offend anybody. Wow. I almost had rebellion on the bus because the kids didn't understand that. Mm -hmm. But we drove off. Brother Cofield stayed there with Tom at the camp. That morning, he and Tom went out in the canoe. And Brother Cofield got to witness to him, got to hear his story. I had been at Haight-Ashbury there in California and gotten so involved in, in drugs and all that hippie movement. And uh, when we came back, he had a different spirit. And he and Tom got close that week. Mm -hmm. And before the week was over, Tom had invited Christ into his life. Wow. When we got home, uh, it was on a late Saturday evening and uh, unloaded the bus. And come Sunday morning, uh, I had one of the, the church had built a new auditorium and the old auditorium was turned over to the youth. We had about 125 young people every Sunday. And uh, here this guy comes in the back door, had a suit and tie on had a haircut. Uh, when a hippie gets a haircut. 
That's the moving of God. I didn't know who he was. I went back and introduced myself. He said, well, I'm Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, Tom, where did you get a haircut uh, on a Saturday night? I don't know where he got it, but he got a haircut, had a suit and tie on. <laughs> God changed his life. Yeah. They became the bus directors in that church, served God. And uh, Brother Cofield later came. Uh, Bruce and I took a church in Michigan, Ryan Road Baptist Church in mm-hmm. Michigan. Brother Cofield came uh, and uh, spoke to our church. And he, he told us when we were eating lunch, he said, uh, that hippie you brought to camp said he changed my life. Wow. Oh, my. He said he taught me how to love people, no matter what they look like. He taught me how to love people. And it's amazing how God works in so many ways and in so many lives. Yeah. But that's just a Camp of the Woods story. And I know if we had time, there's so So many many. (laughs) more right there in that one spot. But from that spot, lives were touched and it's like a, a rows of dominoes or like little waves in a, in a pond from a stone, just the waves go out in every direction. And we'll find out someday on the other side, just what God did uh, from yep. those events in those days. And uh, in some of that, in the wake of those, of that work, God saved me, called me. Man, I wish I had all day to, to do this. We're, we still have another 25 minutes, so we got a lot of time here, but uh, preacher, uh, I coined this thought this year, young men dream dreams, old men reflect. And uh, share with us a little bit about some of those early dreams that you had. And I know this was kind of fulfillment of those dreams as God was developing you, but tell us a little bit about some of the dreams you had as a younger man, ministry-wise. You know, when I went to Bible college, uh... I didn't feel like I could ever get up uh, in front of people and and talk and preach and do those sort of things. I grew up in down in the Wabash Valley of Indiana. I was barefoot most of the time and wore a pair of overhauls and uh, even had hair in those days. Uh, <laughs> you still got some on your chin. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I love music and... Uh, you know, my early dreams were to build a great music program that would stir the hearts of people. And uh, I learned to love young people there in in Cook Road and and uh, to be involved in their lives and see God do a work in their lives. Uh, got involved with a guy by the name of Mel Sabaka mm-hmm. over at Canton Baptist Temple, who was the youth director over at that great church. And... Uh, uh, we had some. We had a camp there. The Canton Church bought a camp uh, there in in Ohio and uh, Camp Choff. Yep, we yes, spent sir. we spent several summers there, uh, involved with young people and seeing the work of God. And you know, my dreams were were building uh, uh, a great ministry with a great preacher. And when Brother Melton invited me to come. Uh, he was one of those preachers that was in great demand all over the country. Uh, 
And when I was in Colorado with him, uh, that year we did 26 revival meetings together all over that southwest part of the country. Uh, and uh, I was the singer, he was the preacher. And uh, God wonderfully, wonderfully moved. Uh, I could tell stories about some of the some of the things that happened. I remember one particular uh, time when he was preaching a youth camp uh, there in New Mexico, and uh, he called me on a Wednesday morning and he said, "Wayne, when when the service is over tonight, because I was doing the Wednesday night service." He said, uh, drive down here to the camp. It was about a five or six-hour drive. He said, I've been preaching all week, and there's not been one movement of the Spirit yet. He said, there's all kinds of unsaved kids here, but the devil has just been in the way. Nothing's happened. I want you to come, and I want you to sing. And I got to the camp uh, late, late that night, and uh, the next day, in the morning service, uh, Brother Melton just said, uh, you sing whatever I play. He was a great pianist. He was my voice teacher in college. And uh, he began to play, and I began to sing. And it was all songs about the blood, about the cross. And right in the middle of singing, just the, the power and the Spirit of God fell on that place. And kids began to get up and and weep at the altar. Brother Melton never preached that morning. God did it all through the piano and the, and the singing. I think it was a culmination of all the preaching they had heard that week. Uh, but it was, it was a service that you can't explain. I was in a service like that at Camp of the Woods uh, with Brother Cofield, and same thing. Nothing was happening, and Satan was gripping, and and a guy named Davis Keys uh, was a new missionary. He was a very poor speaker, but a, a wonderful, kind man, and he got up and began to weep. He didn't preach. He goes, I, I can't preach, but uh, he said, I'm so I'm so heartbroke. I can't preach. He said, "I heard one of you campers take God's name in vain out on God's island today, next to God's lake under God's sun." And he goes, he says, "Young man, you better be glad I'm not God." He goes, "I'd have killed you on this spot." He says, "I'm going to get down at the altar and pray that I learn to love people like you." He wept, got on his knees, piano began to play, and heaven came down repentance the kids stood up and repented and called on the, i never heard anybody stand up and call upon the name of the lord got saved crying out in front of about 150 other kids it, it was incredible so i've been in one service like that in my life and it was at camp of the woods yeah, and you know those are those are special times um later that year we went up to horn creek ranch in Colorado, and there was a group from Kansas City of single uh, young people. And uh, they came out to ski, and they asked Brother Mountain to come up and speak. And uh, Bruce called me again, and he said, 
He said, there's a sweet spirit, but there's no moving of the spirit. He said, uh, I want you to come on up to the up to the camp. So I got my car and I drove up to Horn Creek and uh, that evening uh, Bruce sat down at the piano and he said, you sing whatever I play. And uh, began to sing and the same thing. The Spirit of God came on that group of, of young people and two by two they began to spread out all over the place just weeping and calling out to God all over that camp. And, uh, you know, those are experiences that you can't create. Only the Spirit of God. And uh, when I think back of those times, uh, in my heart I cry out, oh, God, do it again. Mm -hmm. Just do it again. Um, But that was kind of my dreams and my aspiration, to to be able to take music and, grip the hearts of people. Um, But God has a way of preparing you for other things. Because as you're sharing all this music, 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 moving of God's spirit, the Wayne Gwynn I know is preaching, preaching, preaching in the moving of God's spirit. You know, it's, uh, like I said, I never intended to be a preacher. I was very happy being a, being a second man, a right hand man, uh, just lifting up the arms of of a of a great preacher. He uh, he was a great preacher, Brother Melton, and uh, we had a great ministry together. Uh, I could tell stories uh, uh, all morning here <laughs> about the, the, about the way God did things. At Ryan Road Baptist Church, we, when we moved there, it was about three hundred people. Um, within three years, we were over two thousand people. Uh, people on Sundays, uh, I'm talking about adults now, uh, 30, 40, 50 people almost every Sunday walk the aisle trusting Christ. It was an incredible, incredible moving of God. And uh, I was the music guy. He was the preacher guy. And uh, God melted our hearts together. and Kind of a David Jonathan thing, huh? Just did. We did a radio broadcast. Uh, I sang. He preached. It was, it was just a a phenomenal moving of God. It wasn't the preacher. It wasn't the singer. It was God. Amen. Only God can do things like that. Well, preacher, I kind of pick up in in the awareness of the story I'm more from Florida and Bethany, and I know that God took you from you know really a a, a mountaintop. And then you surrendered to a total mess. To was that your first pastorate at Bethany? Yeah, you know, and I mean, you must have been out of your mind to go from <laughs> the top to the bottom. But take you know, a few minutes and, and tell us because uh, yeah, I love this story. I there, I'm no, I only know part of it. I'm sure, but uh, I want to hear it again. You know, one of the one of the things of of God in my life. When we moved to Detroit, uh, Dr. Vick, Beecham Vick, who was kind of the the guru of our fellowship movement, uh, great preacher, great leader of men, uh, was in his declining years. 
And so almost every Friday he would call and want to go to lunch. And uh, that experience, God was preparing me for a different, different track in my life. And one of the things that had happened was during those years at, at Ryan Road, so many churches got in financial difficulty with bond issues. Yes, sir. And for whatever reason, my business background, God, God gave me the solution for a lot of those preachers on how to overcome that, how to get their churches back. Uh, you were known as the financial guru, <laughs> but that wasn't going to be an easy uh, experience. No, and when I first started, <clears throat> Dr. Vic is the one that encouraged me to, you know, to, to share with those guys. And uh, we were eating lunch one Friday, and I, I said, you know, uh, I go and I talk to those guys, and I, I give them suggestions on what they need to do. Um, but most of them don't pay any attention. When I leave, you know, they don't, they don't make any changes. He said, uh, what do you charge them for your, for your consulting? I said, well, I don't charge them for my consulting. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a service to God. And he said, um, well, that's the problem. Yeah. Uh, if it's free, uh, they, they take little heed to it. And so he, he laid out a financial plan. He said, charge them this much. Do this. When you go, make them put some, some uh you know, something in the pot, some skin, skin in, in the game. game. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I did that and all of a sudden they began to listen to what I said and God, God used us in a marvelous, that's what took me to Melbourne, Florida. That church was, uh, in desperate financial need. In fact, they had already filed a bankruptcy when I got there and, uh, I got another lawyer in town and we went, talked to the lawyer in Tampa that was going to handle the case. And, and uh, he gave us the check back, and uh, uh, we said, well, if we have to do bankruptcy, we'll, we'll be back to you. You'll be the one that handles it. And uh, God just gave, gave us a, the, the right plan to put into place. I know, no, I know humility was a big part of that plan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a, an older gentleman in the church uh, by the name of Cowart, Grandpa Cowart, and he had a nephew that was a judge. And so I went to the judge, and and uh, I just had the thought, you know, we'll sign everything over to you, judge, and if you'll rent us the property back. And uh, he did, and uh, said, uh, It'll, it'll be $500 a month, uh, and you can rent the property back. Uh, and we had several acres of property, but Melbourne at that time was in great decline because the moon program had shut down and people were leaving town looking for work. But that very first Sunday, uh, I told the church, we're debt-free. We don't owe a debt anymore. 
uh, we're debt free. We've just become renters. We've become renters. Wow. And, uh, it did something to the hearts of the people because all of a sudden, instead of all the anxiety, there was a peace that came over the church and God began to, and it wasn't a very large church at that time. I'm guessing about a hundred. Wow. And, uh, it had been a much bigger church, but people had left town because of, of, of the job situation. It was, and so we began to knock on doors, and God began to bring in some people. And uh, because we didn't have a huge debt to pay, and I wasn't drawing a salary, the, the lady that was the secretary in the church, wonderful, godly lady, uh, Miss Ada, uh, she came to work every day like I was paying her, uh, and uh, she wasn't getting paid. Uh, and God began to to bless. The offerings began to increase. We began to build a war chest, knowing that some point in time we we're going to have to move or buy that property back. And uh, God just God just blessed. So I'm seeing humility. I'm seeing sacrifice. I'm seeing faith. You know, and I think that's what it takes to build any kind of a great ministry. Somebody, you just stick with it and trust God. God supplied everything we had. I was still doing consulting work. That's how I put food on the table. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Uh, You know, God doesn't bless bless laziness. Well, years later, I got to preach at Bethany, and there was a whole bunch more than 100 people there. I'll tell you that. The place was packed. Yeah, God wonderfully blessed that ministry. Had had a children's home uh, for the last uh, 40, uh, 46 years. Uh, I've been chairman of the board of CITA Mission that was started out of our church there. And... uh, during those years, we planted 17 churches. Uh, I sent out uh, 38 uh, young men and women to full-time ministry, either as pastors or music men or missionaries. Had 28 missionaries out of our church. <laughs> that, uh, what do you think? There's a God or something, Preach? <laughs> you know, and the strange part was when I went to Melbourne, uh, and I I got the judge to do what he did to take the burden of the finances off of us. The pastor that was there resigned and left. And so they asked if I would if I would uh, help them find a pastor. And uh, so I I got involved in having men come in uh, to preach and candidate and. Uh, they kept rejecting every one of them that came in. And finally I had a guy by the name of Joe Penrod. Uh, in fact, his son is, uh, is the Penrod that sings with the Gaither vocal band, uh, now or did. Uh, and, uh, Joe's a, a wonderful preacher, a wonderful singer, and, uh, just a great guy. I thought for sure they would latch hold of him. And, uh, when we met with the men that afternoon, uh, they said, Preacher, we don't, we're not interested in any of these guys. God's doing something now. We, we just want you to stay. And I was faced with that decision. 
am I am I going to be a preacher? <laughs> I didn't feel called, and I had a I had a mentor by the name of Howard Ingram. Oh yeah, he was a great church planner. Planted over two hundred churches in his ministry life, and uh, had preacher boys all over the country. In fact, Joe Penrod was one of his preacher boys. And I was talking with Brother Ingram on the phone, and I said, I don't know that I've been called to be a preacher. He said, well, were you called to be a singer? I said, I think so. I felt like God called me. God's used me through the years that way. Uh, he said, well, did God put you in Melbourne? I said, yeah, <laughs> yeah, here I am. I'm here in Melbourne. He said, well... Maybe that's your call. Two plus two is four, preach. <laughs> and uh, so I told the guys, I said, I've never been called to be a preacher. But I'll, I'll, I'll preach as long as you want me to stay here. So that's kind of the way it was. I never got voted in. <laughs> they just they just said, well, we want you to stay till you leave. And uh so for almost 30 years, I stayed till I left, and uh, then God put me in the church planning uh, ministry. Oh, we could do a whole other podcast on that. But that's how I got to Melbourne, and that was the work God did. And, uh, you know, uh, we went uh, from giving absolutely nothing to missions to over those years uh, $300,000 a year plus going into into missions all kinds of missionaries and missionary projects and uh, young people being called and it, it was it was just exciting to see what God did in that place I have about five minutes here and I have I have 500 questions so I'm only going to land on one this is what I've been pondering a lot myself people have asked me because uh you got a few years on me, but uh, not that many, and I'm just wanting to finish well. You've kind of set that example for me all ever since I met you, even before I met you. But uh, if you had to do all over again, what might you do different? You know, I'm not sure, Brother Duke. Uh, God took me step by step. I didn't end up doing what I'm doing because that was what I wanted to do. Uh, God opened the doors, one door at a time. I look back and I, I see lots of mistakes that I made. Uh, there are some pretty rough places in the road, some issues that I didn't understand, some heartaches some heartbreaks, but you know, God used every one of them to open a new door in my life. And he kept his hand on me and I don't understand why. Would I do anything different? I don't know, but God worked it out for me. And, uh, you know, I encourage young men, just stay faithful to God. 
Keep your eye on him. No matter what happens, know that God has a plan and God has a purpose. And just keep on keeping on and stay faithful. Mm-hmm. And that's what my life has been. I, I've just tried to stay faithful to God and walk through the doors that he opens. And who would guess, uh, who would ever guess, who would have thunk it that, you know, after the church planting school and, you know, influencing hundreds of young men to plant churches around the country through that. And then while you're on your, on the road, your bride is back here in Melbourne and attends a little church. that was one of the church plants out of Bethany and uh, health issues for the pastor. And you come in to just kind of come alongside. And now here you are, um, turning 80 this year. Turning 80. And still pastoring, and people still get saved. Just the other night, an old Jewish gal got saved here. People still getting saved. Young people still gravitating to your ministry here. Uh, And uh, young men and women surrendering to God's work here in this place at this time. And I just want to thank you for uh, being uh, my mentor through these years. And uh, I think the listening audience can probably figure out I love this guy but only for eternity. <laughs> but preacher, I've listened to you and I've written down some things. You, you said some things over and over again without realizing, I think, loving people, loving people, loving people, prayer, prayer, prayer. And you just kept mentioning people getting saved, Tom getting saved, and this Jewish gal getting saved just the other night, just people getting saved. And that that's what the focus is, you know. Yeah, that's, that's what it's all about. Final thoughts for the audience here today? You know, again, just encouraging people, keep your eyes on the Lord, stay faithful, walk through the doors that he opens, and when problems come, see them as opportunities for God to direct your life. That's what it's all about. Wow. Maybe that was the best for last. Let our our, uh, problems become opportunities in the hands of great God. Hey, gang, thanks for tuning me in again. And uh, what do they do? Say like, subscribe, prescribe, inscribe. Share the broadcast uh, podcast with other people. Brother Gwen, love you. Thanks for having me down to preach at Beacon again. Well, thank you for coming. God's been moving this week. Okay, look forward to coming back next year and doing another podcast. All right, <laughs> See what good. God's done this year. Okay, bye-bye for now. Jesus loves you, so do I. Have a good day.